Amen. Let us go straight to the word on today. Matthew 21, verses 6 through 11. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the coat, laid their clothes on them, and he set and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, my brothers and sisters, turn to the book of Mark, chapter 15. Verse 11. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them. And he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. I'd like to talk to you for a time today about a Messiah misunderstood. Messiah misunderstood. Now, for many years as I grew up, I used to wonder why Jesus, our Savior, got one reception when he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey on Palm Sunday and got another far different response just five days later on Good Friday. What made the crowd scream Hosanna on Palm Sunday and made the crowd scream crucify him just five days later? Now, since we today know who Jesus was and is, the lamb that was slain, the lion of Judah in whom rests all power in heaven and in earth, who is the word that was with God and is God, whose name is above every name, every knee 
shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Since we today already know who Jesus is, it isn't difficult to understand why the storm and the wind and the waves obeyed him. Why sickness and paralysis, demons and disease left those who he touched. Why the dead would rise when he would tell them to get up. Since we today know who he really was, it isn't difficult for us to understand ultimately why the crowd laid their clothes and palm branches in the road so that he could ride a donkey on them. But what has baffled me and what baffled me all through my young life was the fact that the people of Jerusalem did all of this not knowing who Jesus really was. So what were they thinking? Today we call him Lord because we know him as the Son of God, the risen Savior. But why did everyone there on that day cry out, Hosanna to the Son of David? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, at this time, the children of Israel have been under the brutal oppressive, tyrannical rule of the Romans for about 60 years. Through force of arms, the Romans have turned the children of Israel into subjects of the Roman Empire and emperor. It is no secret that every Hebrew and every good Hebrew hated the Romans with a very special passion and viewed them as pagan, foreign invaders that did not believe in God, Jehovah. Throughout the history of Israel, most of the time when the children of Israel were being oppressed by a foreign people, God raised up a deliverer, a Messiah, to save them from their oppressors. There was Moses, who led them out of the land of Egypt 1,300 years earlier. There was Joshua who led them into the land of Canaan, the promised land. There was Othniel who defeated Cushan, Rishathane. And then there was Ehud who defeated Eglon, the king of Moab. Then there was Shamgar who defeated the Philistines the first time. Then Deborah and Barak defeated Jabin, the king of the Canaanites, when he came against the children of Israel. Then Gideon defeated Jephthah and defeated the Midianites and the Amalekites. And then Jephthah defeated the Ammonites. And then Samson fought and defeated the Philistines a, a second time. Then King David finally defeated the Philistines once and for all. But the history of Israel, and we can praise the Lord because if he did it once, he'll do it again. And he did it again and again and again. The history of Israel was full of men that rose up to defeat Israel's enemies. 
There was no reason to believe that there was not going to be a deliverer that would rise up and defeat this latest group of invaders, the Romans. It was what had happened before. It was what the children of Israel were used to. It was what God had done in the past, and it was what the children of Israel wanted and had been praying for for more than 60 years. In fact, there were more than 50 prophecies in the Old Testament that speak to the coming of the Messiah, and Jesus matched the description perfectly. Isaiah 35, verses 5 reads, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. All we have to do is look at the miracles that Jesus performed, and we'll see that this prophecy was true. Wherever Jesus went, the blind were given sight. The lame were made to walk. The deaf and the mute were made to hear and speak. On two separate occasions, thousands were fed from him, breaking up a little food and multiplying until all were fed. Forces of nature obeyed his commands. The dead were raised. Many had heard the prophecy in Isaiah 9 and 6 that said, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. It was right there in their book of the law. The most clear prophecy spoke directly to our text. 500 years before the day that Jesus rode that donkey into Jerusalem, Zechariah 9 and 9 reads, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey, 500 years before Palm Sunday. It goes on to say, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall seek peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. 
There's almost no way that you could have been a person alive during this time and had heard these passages and not wonder if Jesus was the one those scriptures were referring to, especially when he would get up in the synagogue from time to time and say these scriptures have now been fulfilled in me. There's no way that you could thought that he is not who those scriptures were talking about. And he was. All the indicators were there that he was going to set everything right in their world. Right after the triumphal entry, entry in Matthew 21, verse 12, it says, And Jesus enters the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. You see, that's where they used to keep their money in their seat. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. He broke up one of the main hustles that the Sadducees had going in the temple at that time. I could break the hustle down to you, but that's a whole other sermon. We're going to keep it going. <laughs> but this Jesus was asserting that this was the house of God, his own house, if you will. And things that went on in that place should be done to please God and God alone. Some would say that he was cleaning house. He even healed the sick and the lame that were in and around the synagogue at that time. Excitement around him continued to build higher and higher. The crowd still screams, Hosanna. Then leaving Jerusalem, he saw a fig tree and cursed it. Matthew 21, 19 says, And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. You see, the fig tree represented Israel, and it was barren. And the king was not happy with the fruit that his kingdom was producing. He was then challenged by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes in a number of ways, and he completely shuts them down. He embarrasses them, calls them out, and shows them for what they really are. Through a number of scenarios and parables, he calls them blind. He calls them fools and hypocrites. He says to them in Matthew 23 and 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and uncleanliness. 
he blew them up. He said in front of all they people that they looked good on the outside, but on the inside they were ugly, filthy. How many of you know somebody who's beautiful on the outside, but on the inside they're dead? He spoke to them about the sign of the times and the destruction of the temple. He spoke about the tribulation and the coming of the Son of Man, about the fig tree, about the wedding feast and the ten virgins. All parables that let the children of Israel know that the time of the Lord was at hand and they couldn't wait for it to happen. How many of us are waiting for God to pay back all of those who've done us wrong, held us down? I'm going to admit I have. The word says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and we just waiting with bated breath for God to take vengeance. And we hope we're there to see it. God, get them. Go on and get them, God. I guess I'm the only one who wanted God to do something to somebody who had done something to me. Y'all just so holy out there, man. But they were waiting for God to do something spectacular and make everything right in their world. It was the reason that the children of Israel gave Jesus such a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It was why they pulled off their coats and cut down palm branches and laid them in the road so Jesus could walk on them. It's because they thought that he was going to come like David and conquer their enemies, the Romans, and be their earthly king. But in my mind's eye, I can see it. Jesus tells them that they are to love their neighbors as they love themselves. People are like, okay, okay, I can give it that. Then he tells them who their neighbors are. Then he went as far as to tell them to render under Caesar that what is Caesar's. Because people are like, oh man, you know, okay, I guess all right. Then he tells them that they are to love their enemies. Even the Romans, somebody asked out of the crowd. Jesus says, especially the Romans. In fact, pray for those that persecute you. I bet you could have heard a cotton ball fall on the floor. Somebody was like, oh, oh, he tripping. (laughs) I ain't loving no Romans. The Pharisees and the Sadducees in their jealousy were always in the crowd, were spreading lies about Jesus. And slowly, public opinion began to turn. They were already looking for a way to get rid of Jesus because he was threatening the status quo, the natural order of things. But because Jesus had the love and support of the crowd at that moment, They wouldn't try to harm him openly. They wouldn't try to do it before, 
But when he started talking about loving your enemies and turning the other cheek, and if a Roman tells you to carry their pack for one mile, you carry the pack for two. And when he started talking about all of that, the Pharisees and the Sadducees saw their chance. So by the time that we get to Matthew 27 and 20, public opinion in Jerusalem had turned a completely 180 degrees around against Jesus. In their eyes, he was no longer the promised one. But he was just another charlatan that had come to deceive. In their eyes, he was not the Messiah and the physical ruler that, he, that they thought he would be. By the time we reach the second part of our text in March, in Mark 15 and 11, when offered Barabbas, who was a known criminal, revolutionary, and hater of the Romans, they were offered a chance between Barabbas or Jesus. The crowd chose Barabbas because he was talking about what they wanted to hear instead of Jesus, who was calling for a new way of seeing things. Now it begins to make sense that the same crowd that cried, Hosanna, Hosanna to Jesus as he rode into the city on a colt, on a coat that sang, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The same crowd that was laying down palm branches and their clothes in the road so that Jesus didn't touch the ground. That same crowd is the same crowd that cried, crucify him, crucify him. They were so caught up in their own desires and what they wanted that when they found out that Jesus was not who they wanted him to be or who they thought he was, not their physical liberator and earthly king, they screamed for his crucifixion. They wanted one that would free them from the Romans, but he came to free them from themselves. He came so that they and us could have life and life everlasting. Oh, those of us who know need to give the Lord praise on today. Hallelujah. I mean, even the disciples who loved Jesus did not know exactly who he was. Many times they would argue amongst themselves as to who would be the greatest in the kingdom. Even the mother of James and John lobbied for Jesus to let her son sit on his right and on the left of his throne as he ruled his earthly kingdom. It's all right there in the word in black and white. Even they thought that he was going to rule as an earthly king when he let himself be arrested and crucified, they ran and hid, hoping that they would not be discovered and themselves crucified as insurgents against the empire. Try to imagine the pain and befuddlement and the confusion of Peter as he followed behind the mob waiting for Jesus to reveal his earthly power. Jesus gets arrested. Those who love Jesus the most scattered. 
and hid. Peter follows Jesus and follows the mom, and he's like, any second now, he's going to show them who he really is. Any second now, he's going to show them what he's made of. He had seen Jesus tell the wind and the waves what to do. He had seen Jesus tell the dead to rise, and they got up. He had seen Jesus heal more people than he could count. He had seen Jesus holding court with Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. He and the other disciples saw Jesus walk on water, and even he walked on water with Jesus for a moment. He had seen Jesus gain the upper hand over the over the. Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he had seen them embarrass them time and time after again. He listened to Jesus tell that the kingdom of heaven was at hand so many times. How many times had they laughed together, ate together, walked together? Now here Jesus is letting himself be beaten, berated, and spat upon, tried as a common criminal. In that moment, Peter's world had been turned upside down. Stick with me here. Put yourself there. He couldn't understand. He really didn't know who this Jesus was. He didn't know what to do when he got recognized and outed as a disciple of Christ. When confronted three different times, he screamed that he did not know Jesus because in all actuality, he didn't. At least not the Jesus that he saw getting beaten and mocked. The disciples' desire for Jesus to show his power completely blocked out the times that he told them that he was going to be arrested, tried, and crucified and killed that he was and he was going to rise on the third day sometimes someone can be so locked in and focused on what they want and what they're thinking and what they want to say that they miss what you are trying to tell them completely on at least three different occasions Jesus told them you know I'm going to get arrested and I'm going to get falsely accused and I'm going to get crucified, and I'm going to be killed, and then I'm going to raise again on the third day. They were like, yeah, that's right, Jesus. When you establish your kingdom on earth, I just want to be there. Thank you. When you get rid of these Romans, hallelujah, praise the Lord. It's so locked in that they missed what he was. It was like right over their head. Oh, yes, because we know who Jesus is. It's easy for us to look down our noses at Brother Peter and the rest of the disciples. But how many of us have denied Christ in our everyday lives, actions, and thoughts? How many of us deny him because he doesn't do what we expect him to do or meet our desires and give us what we want? And we know who he really is. The crowd yelled, Hosanna! Not because they knew who Jesus, that Jesus was the King of kings and Lord of lords, but because they thought he was going to give them what they wanted. 
There are many today that are worshiping the Lord not because they want to be closer to him, but because they're waiting for the big payoff. I used to wonder, how could they do that? How could they do that to someone who showed nothing but love to them? How could they do that to someone who was saying, Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do? I was once told as a baby Christian that we crucify our Lord and Savior over and over and over again when we sin and get wrapped all up into self. Well, beloved, if that's the case, then we who know exactly who Jesus is cry Hosanna every time we worship him in church on Sunday and scream crucify him every time we step outside of his will for our lives. In one way or another, we must all take our place among those in the crowd that screamed, crucify him, crucify him, and nailed Jesus on the cross that day because it was for all of our sins that he gave his life. Jesus took what we deserved and gave us what he deserved. I'll say it again because somebody didn't get it. Jesus took what we deserved and gave us what he deserved. Oh, somebody give the Lord praise out here. Oh, come on now. Somebody make some noise out there. Hallelujah. Hmm. And we winding it down. And so he was falsely accused, beaten and tortured, crucified and buried in the tomb of a man who loved and followed him named Joseph of Arimathea. Now it has been said that tombs have often been known to tell us a lot about a person. Tombstones themselves are often said to be a summation of one's life. The pyramids of Egypt are famous because they contain the mummified bodies of ancient kings and all the wealth that they were buried with. It was their folly to think that they could take the material wealth that they enjoyed on earth into eternity. In China, the, the Marquis Yi of Zing was buried around 433 B.C., was buried with over 124 musical instruments and a set of 64 bells, along with everything they thought that he would need in the afterlife, was put in the tomb with him. In another chamber of his tomb, they found the remains of a number of female attendants who were probably members of his orchestra. I'm going to say it again. In another chamber of his tomb, they found the remains, the bodies of people of a number of his female attendants who were probably members of his orchestra. In another chamber of his tomb, they found the remains of other servants and guardsmen. All of these unfortunate individuals were sacrificed when the king died so that they could serve him in the afterlife. 
according to the belief system of that time. As if having to be a servant for this dude was bad enough throughout life, y'all want me to serve him in the afterlife? That's a pretty bad deal. I could picture somebody going, Mom, Mom, I'm, I'm getting a job. I'm going I'm to serve the king. You're going to be great. And as soon as he dies, you got to go too. Westminster Abbey in London is revered because in it rests the bodies of English kings and nobility. In Medina, Saudi Arabia, Muhammad's tomb is noted for the stone coffin and the bones that it contains. Now, some of these ancient tombs stood only as testaments of the arrogance and egos of those that were buried in them. Pathetic, futile attempts at immortality by those who feared death and feared being forgotten. And guess what, beloved? All of them are still right there in their tombs. Hallelujah. You see, serving those other kings and historical figures didn't bring anything but death to those that followed and served them. But serving our Lord and Savior brings life and life eternal. The tomb of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is famous because it's empty. Early one Sunday morning, he got up. Hallelujah. They put him in a borrowed tomb because he knew he wasn't going to be using it that long. He knew that he was going to be giving it back. Somebody give the Lord praise in here on today. He got up. Why are you seeking the living amongst the dead? He has risen. Some of you have been raised from dead lifestyles. Some of you have been raised from dead futures, dead careers, dead circumstances, dead situations, dead marriages, dead backgrounds, dead family dynamics, dead past. Not only do you need to give him praise, but you need to tell the world what he's done for you. Don't act like you made it through all by yourself. You need to tell somebody. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so they denied him. Screamed for his blood. Screamed, crucify him. They may have been waiting for some king that would set up a physical throne, but he was so, so much more. And they were right. He is a king. He's my king. I'm going to tell it to you like an old preacher once told me. My king is king of the Jews. He is the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of ages. He's the king of heaven. He is the king of glory. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. That's my king. Oh, I wonder if you know him. He is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He is enduringly strong. He is entirely secure. 
He is eternally steadfast. He is immortally graceful. He is imperially powerful. He is impartially merciful. Or do you know him on today? He is the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He is God's son. He is the sinner's savior. He is the centerpiece of civilization. He is unparalleled. He is unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He is the highest personality in philosophy. He is the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He is the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. Oh, I wonder if you know him on today. He supplies strength to the weak. He is available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and he sustains. He guards and he guides. He healed the sick and he cleansed the lepers. He forgives the sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He re re rewards the diligent. He beautifies the meek. Oh, I wonder if you know him on today. He is the key to knowledge. He is the wellspring of wisdom. He is the doorway to deliverance. He is the pathway of peace. He is the roadway of righteousness. He is the highway of holiness. He is the gateway of glory. Or do you know him on today? His life is matchless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Oh, I wish I could describe him to you, but he's describable, indescribable. He is incomprehensible. He is invincible. He is irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out that they couldn't stop him. Pilate could not find any fault in him, and Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That is my king. Somebody give the Lord praise. Hallelujah. Glory, 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 glory. Hallelujah. Praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. They might not have known who he was on that day, but we know. We know who he really is. Oh, keep on giving the Lord praise. Those of us who know who he really is, give the Lord praise on today. Hallelujah. You see, we all have to face the fact that at some point in our lives, we've lived between the shame of our past and the fear of our future. But we don't have to be afraid of the future, do we? We might not know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. We serve a savior that has risen from the dead. And if he did it once, he can do it again. If he did it once, he can do it again. If he did it once, he can do it again. 
Hallelujah. Dead marriages can live again. Dead dreams can live again. Dead circumstances can live again. Look at your neighbor and say, don't count me out. Because if Jesus got up, so can I. He left the grave behind him, so will I. Hallelujah. I know there is someone here today that wants the same power that brought Jesus out of the grave in your life. I know most of us know him, but it is always ready and it is always good to invite someone here. There is someone here within the sound of my voice online here in the building who wants the same power. Somebody say power. That's what we need on today. We need power. That's what we need when life tries to throw us a curveball. We need power. When we look at the news and see all the world coming down around us, say we need power. If you want that same power that rose Jesus from the dead in your life, all you have to do is raise your hand, even online. All you have to do is simply raise your hand. He came so that we may have life and life everlasting. Oh, somebody give the Lord praise on today. Hallelujah. And if you raise your hand on today, pray with me, dear precious Heavenly Father. We thank you for sending your son to die for our sins. We thank you all the more that he took what we deserved and gave us what he deserves. We thank you, Father God, that he became like us so that we could become like him. We pray that we get forgiven for our sins. We believe that Jesus Christ...